Welcome to the Oak Whites podcast, In The Frame. I'm Charlie Mills, and today I'm with Alan Duval from Walsingham Planning. This episode has been split into two parts, and this is part one of episode 20. And today we're going to discuss everything to do with planning. So there's, there's, a, whole, there's a whole checklist of things that we would look at. Like I say, everything from um, contamination, also things like archaeology as well. So I've built my own house, which was a knockdown of a, a former cottage and a rebuild. And then it got um, the the garden, then got planning for a, a house as well. If you're able to and you feel comfortable speaking to your neighbours at an early stage, then we would always suggest that. Alan, welcome. Welcome to uh, to the to the show home here in Herefordshire. Good morning, Charlie. Thank you very much for having me in beautiful Herefordshire this morning. Yeah, a little bit cloudy today, but um, but still in all its glory. So planning, mm-hmm. that's your speciality. It is. Yes, uh, yes. Planning is um, planning is my um, is my life in terms of my, my work life, and I've been, I've worked in planning for many years more than 20 years now so and across many different local authorities um, across the country it certainly keeps us very busy as planning consultants at the moment in terms of in terms of the planning system but it's a great challenge and it's great to work with um, a whole variety of clients and obviously including including your clients and help them along their journeys and and we've we've got various projects on and so if we start right from the beginning so I'm approaching you I want to be a self-builder I don't have a plot, but how do I go about sourcing uh, a land or an opportunity to build on? Yeah, so there's there's a number of ways in terms of thinking about um, a, a site that you might want to build on and develop. Um, you will find sites um, available through agents. Um, you'll find sites on on um, on websites such as Rightmove. Um, Um, But you have to always be very careful in terms of when you see a site that might be for sale to make sure that you do your due diligence in terms of planning right at the beginning. So in terms of in terms of due diligence, when you are first looking at a site, um, you know, you found you found a a piece of land that you think is is going to be fantastic for your dream home Um, in terms of the due diligence process and what what I mean by due diligence there are a number of facets to that there's there's the planning side of of things which which I can just explain a little bit more of but obviously you also have to consider other things in terms of in terms of legal matters associated with the site and obviously make sure that you have a solicitor that can give you advice in terms of if there's any um if there's any covenants on the land for example um so obviously make sure you get good good legal advice in terms of the planning due diligence um, in addition to looking at the site from in respect of whether it's in the green belt or area of outstanding natural beauty um, there's other things just to be wary of of wary of and that can include for example um, making sure that there's no contamination on the land um, because if the land has been used previously, for for example, for agriculture, there might be some some issues in terms of contamination. Um, making sure that you can actually achieve a vehicle access onto the site, um, because unfortunately we've seen we've seen sites in the past where it's a really fantastic site for development, but actually you can't get a vehicle access into it. And it means it can't be developed if you can't achieve a vehicle access. So making sure that you can achieve your vehicle access is really important. Um, making sure that um, 
making sure that there's no there's nothing of surprise in terms of ecology um making sure there's no protected species on the site is really important so there's there's a whole there's a whole checklist of things that we would look at like i say everything from um contamination also things like archaeology as well um particularly in rural areas in in small you know historic villages um you have to be careful about archaeology as well so we we have a tick list that we will go through and we can help clients with in terms of understanding whether there's any any particular issues that you need to be aware of very rarely very rarely there will be something that prevents development but it might have to be something that you have to mitigate so for example if there is contamination on the land you might have to deal with that through a certain certain process so that due diligence process is really important and we can obviously always help from the planning perspective um, it's very easy to get, um, I think, to get carried away with finding a really beautiful site that you think is in a great location. Um, but in reality, it might be very, very problematic in terms of planning. Um, so due diligence, due diligence at the outset is critical. Um, checking all of the key constraints and understanding what you can and can't do on a site at the beginning is is really important. But as I say, there's there's lots of there's lots of sites out there that are that are for sale. Um, I've known I've known clients to find a piece of land and literally go and knock on the door of the owner um, and see if it's for sale. Um, so there's many ways of doing it. Um, but like I say, due diligence at the beginning of the process in terms of in terms of planning is, is essential. So um, let's say. I'm in the middle of Herefordshire and I spot a beautiful field overlooking a valley mm -hmm. and I sp I'm going to build my house here. Yeah. Uh, obviously that's not the, not, the, <laughs> not, the, not the case, is it? You know, there's a, we can't just go and do that, can we? That's probably the, one of the most difficult sites you could find. Yeah. But yes. Um, so no. So in terms of um, in terms of the way that planning policy generally works across um, across across the across the country um, nationally and then also individually with um, district councils local authorities um, generally the presumption is that that councils will resist um, new houses in what's described as the open countryside yeah um, generally local authorities want to see new houses built in towns cities villages um, or on the edge of towns, cities, and villages. If you're looking at a if you're looking at a site that's um, very remote, on undeveloped agricultural land or or other undeveloped greenfield land, um, it's it's very challenging in terms of getting planning permission. What we always say is that um, is that if you're not sure, then check and ask for yeah. some assistance. Um, but what we what we try to do with our clients is is be realistic with them from the beginning because um, you know if the site is for example as you describe in a very beautiful rural location where there isn't any existing development it's going to be a, it's going to be a challenge and it's going to be a struggle and the local authority are going to are going to resist it's not impossible yeah but it is it is going to be it is going to be a challenge. So touching on some of the terminology there and then leading us into sort of the, the next part then. So greenfields is, well, as described, like a greenfield. There's nothing already there. It's completely green as an opportunity, but it probably isn't even an opportunity. Um, so then we have things like AONB, mm -hmm. Area of Outstanding Natural Beauty. Yeah. What other sort of uh, um, 
uh, acronyms might people come across? Yeah. So in terms of yeah, in terms of acronyms and um, constraints to sites, um, then you have to you have to there's a, there's a few that you have to be wary of. Areas of outstanding natural beauty, as you mentioned, AOMBs um, is their acronym. Um, they are there's there's a whole series of AOMBs across the country, and they are areas that are designated for their for for their landscape value. So effectively, their attractiveness in yeah. terms of the landscape, and they are more heavily protected in terms of planning policy. Um, so AOMBs is something to watch out for because there's more restrictions. Um, the other big one is green belt. Um, if your land, if the land is um, is defined as green belt, then that's 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 the most protected land in terms of greenfield land that you can find, and um, there are very very strong protections for green belt land for building for building anything. Yeah. Um, the the only the only real thing that you don't have too much restrictions on in green belt land is for agricultural buildings. Um, but in terms of in terms of new houses, it's very well protected. Mm. So Greenbelt, AOMB. Um, also, um, we have a number of national parks across the country as well, as you as you as you probably know. And again, they have certain restrictions in terms of planning that are different to areas outside of national parks. So those are the those are the three key areas: Greenbelt, AOMBs, and national parks. If you have a plot of land within any of those yeah. three as i say it's not impossible but you're you're starting from a point of mm. of it being challenging okay so let's hone down on on on, on what could be a potential so um so I built my own house, which was a knockdown of a, a former cottage mm -hmm. and a rebuild and then it got um the the garden then got planning for a, a house as well yeah so that's the way we went about that Re reflecting on our clients some would be infill which would be between a sort of a almost a gap between houses um if something falls within the the um neighborhood plan or village boundary um obviously as we touched on the, the knockdown and rebuild so if yeah. someone came across either um a dilapidated or uh, a bungalow or something that really needed a lot of love that probably spending as much money renovating you might as well knock it down and start yeah. again yeah um um so that's probably sort of our bet for, for anyone wanting to go ahead that's probably where you're going to have your best luck in, yeah in getting a project right yeah that yeah that's right and um those those sort of sites where there's already some physical built development on the site those sites are referred to as previously developed sites or brownfield sites brownfield, yeah and again, when you look at planning policy, there's a there's a there's a clear steer from government that we should be developing on brownfield sites first before yeah. greenfield sites. So if you um, if you are looking to to build your dream house, the you know the best starting point is to really, as you say, find a plot of land that already has, has some kind of yeah. building on it. So it doesn't have to necessarily be an existing house. For example, it could be. Um, it could be a commercial building, um, which we see quite regularly. But if, if you've already got some development on that site, you can then um, you can then build from that in terms of convincing the council um, that what you're doing is actually going to be an improvement, particularly if the buildings are unattractive, they're quite run down. 
um, you can actually put back something that is an, an enhancement to the site. Yeah. So we have, you know, we we have um, we have many clients who come to us with with pieces of land and sites that have development on them already, and they want to redevelop. Yeah. And I think I think if you're looking, you know, if you're looking to navigate through the planning system, that's the that's the that's the easiest route to start with. You mentioned infill sites. Um, those are also those also can be very um, very good sites to look at. And when we talk about an infill site, that's um, a piece of land that is surrounded by development already. Yeah. So it might not necessarily have any development on it, but it's surrounded. And generally, if you have a piece of land that's surrounded on at least two sides by development, it's a good starting point. So, for example, if you're within a within a village and you have a piece of land that's surrounded that can that can again be a really good starting point to to look at because then you have backfill as well but that's not as appealing is it that's that's not necessarily a um a, a goer is it yeah there's this there's this horrible there's this horrible expression called backland development <laughs> that local authorities use um quite regularly and um it's really interesting because you 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 will very rarely find the definition or the term backland development, you'll very rarely find it written down anywhere yeah. in planning policy. But local authorities, if they see a site that would would be considered to be backland, and that's really where you have development to the rear of existing development, particularly if development's on a road frontage, you then have development behind it. Um, local authorities get a bit nervous about that, and they they can use this phrase backland development. Again, it's not impossible. Um, you can have some very good development sites that local authorities might describe as backland, but again, it's it comes back to the point I made in terms of doing your due diligence and getting a really early feel and really really early understanding of of what the site feels like from you know from from what we've talked about in terms of whether it's got development on it already or whether it's surrounded by development and and also you know a key thing is is always go and have a look at a, a site because you can look on um, Google Earth, for example, um, at, at sites. You can obviously go onto Street View and look at sites, but until you actually physically stand on a site and and take in what's around you, take in the context of, of what's there and what's around you, you really don't, you really can't form a judgment. So always go and have a look at a site if you're if you're interested in it. Fantastic. We have um, we've had um, a few projects recently. Uh, one we did um, uh, a film on, which is the Clarks down in Essex. Um, so we did a whole documentary series on that from during the build and and now to completion. And they built in their garden, mm -hmm. so they had a plot that didn't stack, didn't really work out, and they built in their garden. Yeah. But we've worked with other people who, um, and this is where you own an existing property mm -hmm. and you can make use of an opportunity, who have built on the tennis court. Mm -hmm. Um, are there anything else that you can think of anyone that could potentially make use of what they've already got for either not just houses but I guess annexes you know um, yeah yeah there's many there's many ways to to enhance your existing plot or site again if you have development on it um, quite a lot of people um, will go down the route um, of um, not necessarily knocking down the existing house but as you say also um, building another house on their on their plot as well, and again it comes back to whether that can be considered to be infill, 
Um, again, some local authorities get nervous and get resistant about um, putting in a, a, another house on an existing plot where you already have a house, particularly if it if it appears that you're trying to squeeze development into quite a small area. So if you've got a plot that's quite spacious, um, you don't have any neighbouring properties that are very close to you, um, again, you might be able to achieve something in terms of another another dwelling on your on your land. But again, it all comes down to the context of the site and the individual circumstances of that site. So something that we can do either before the design process or once we have an, a sort of an outline sort of design in place is um, we can approach the council in three different uh, ways, can't we? So for pre-app, mm-hmm. uh, outline planning and then full planning. So would you want to talk to us through that? or And yeah. please, uh, uh, th- those are the three main approaches, right? Yeah, so um, so when you get to the point that you've, um, you've found your plot, you've designed your dream house, you then have to go through the formal planning process. Mm-hmm. Now, there's before you actually submit a planning application, and a planning application can take different forms. As you say, as you mentioned, it can be an outline application and it can be, can be a full application or it could be what's called a planning permission in principle. Um, before you actually go down the route of submitting your formal application to the to your local authority, you can actually approach them and, and ask for them ask for them to give you some advice in terms of what you're thinking before you get to the point of spending time and money preparing a planning application and submitting it. And that's the pre-application advice route. Um, I think it's fair to say that um, some local authorities struggle to deal quickly with pre-application advice. Mm-hmm. So it's all about get, getting advice in terms of whether the local authority that you are going to be dealing with actually has quite an efficient pre-application process in place. Mm-hmm. Because if you if you want to go down the route of pre-application advice and getting some guidance from the council, if you can submit something to them and that can come back quite quickly and you get a good dialogue going with them, it can be very valuable to then inform the planning application and the final proposal that you submit. If you if you submit pre-app, pre-app advice and it's um, quite a lengthy process and you don't really get good feedback, it can sometimes waste time in terms of your overall programme. So depending, depending on the type of project, Depending on the local authority that you are working with, we might advise a client to go straight in with a planning application and not do the pre-application advice stage. But again, it really comes down to the circumstances of the individual project and the local authority. And then when you get to the point of submitting your planning application, as I say, there's a number of routes in terms of the type of application. Generally for proposals for single new houses, it would it would be a full application rather than an outline application, mm-hmm. um, and you would have to design the house in terms of in terms of the layout of the house, the elevations, the external appearance, and then you'd have to submit a set of drawings that show that to the local authority. What's um, what's really important um, in the planning process at the moment is making sure that you provide the local authority with other information that they need to make a decision on the application that's beyond just a set of drawings. So, for example, one thing that's really important at the moment is um, making sure that 
your planning application isn't going to affect any ecology and any protected species. So local authorities are very hot on checking that your planning application isn't going to isn't going to have any detrimental ecology effects. And when we talk about protected species in, in this country, the two most protected species are bats and also great crested newts. And um, if you if you're unfortunate enough to have a site that has um, bats or great crested newts, then you have to go through a process of mitigating to make sure that you're not you're not injuring or or killing um, those protected species because they are protected by law. So it, again, if you have a site that is undeveloped um, and you're looking to develop develop it, we always advise our our clients to get an ecologist involved in the process very early because if you don't it will delay the planning process and it will um it will prevent a problem so ecology is one is one issue there's other things in terms of looking at drainage looking at access vehicle access into the site um trees i mentioned before if you've mm. got some very attractive trees and those trees might be protected by what's called tree preservation orders um, you have to make sure that you're you're not damaging those trees. So there's a number of additional reports that you might have to submit with your planning application to demonstrate to the council that you're not going to harm, um, for example, ecology trees, etc. And that's the benefit of using um, a planning consultant to be able to guide you through and advise you before that rather than just keep having that sort of table tennis backwards and forwards yeah. of no you need this now no you need this and that's the benefit of using someone who's yeah. been through it and knows the knows the process yeah you want to make sure that when you submit your planning application it has everything in it that the local authority are going to need when they review your application um, if you don't <clears throat> what can happen is as you say you can end up with quite a protracted process of going back and forward with the local authority. They'll ask for some more information. You'll have to go away and prepare it and come back. So it's best to front load your application with as much as you can. So with a planning application, um, it often uh, goes to the parish council as well. Um, would you say that there's any benefit in getting the parish council on board and your neighbours or, you know, a positive uh, vibe around the application? What, what, what would you advise on that? Yeah, that's a, it's, that's a really good, a really good question. And um, when you when your application is submitted to the local authority, it has to go through a statutory process of consultation by the local authority. So they will write to the parish council, they will write to your immediate neighbours and inform them that your planning application has been submitted. Um, I think it's fair to say that um, when when you have neighbours that might be affected by your planning application, I think our advice to clients is is always that it's good that your neighbours are not surprised yeah. when they when they yeah. receive a letter on their doorstep from the local authority saying saying that you that you want to build a house next to them. So if you're able to and you feel comfortable speaking to your neighbours at an early stage, then we would always suggest that. I know for some people that might be quite daunting, having a chat with their neighbours about something like this, and they might be concerned about the reaction. But if you're comfortable doing that, then it's always good to give people notice of, of potentially what you're thinking. Um, the Parish Council is a statutory consultee on all planning applications, so they comment on planning applications. The Parish Council doesn't make a decision because it's the local authority that makes the decision. Um, but it's always, again, 
it, it can be it can be good sometimes to notify the parish council that this is this is something that you're thinking about, particularly if it's particularly if you're in quite a small village where um, the parish council are quite involved in planning and and you might want to approach them and have a conversation with them before they see a planning application. And with that, so a smaller village where uh, the applications go through the parish council. Um, now I'm right in thinking that you could actually attend that meeting and, and sort of do a little little pitch uh, to support it, right? Yeah, you can. And again, if that's something that doesn't daunt you too much, um, then you know we've worked with plenty of clients that have that have taken the bull by the horns and and gone along and spoken to their parish council meeting and and had you know a really positive and productive conversation with them in terms of explaining what the thinking is behind the proposal. Um, and engaging with them but again like I say that can be quite daunting if you're not used to it obviously you know obviously ourselves we can help clients with that if that's something they didn't want to do themselves Um, and I know you you guys at Oak Rights also will will speak to parish councils as well on behalf of clients so if that's something that a client needs some help with then we can help we can help do that as well. Yeah, you want to give everything the best chance it can it can have, can't you? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Now, committee would only be if there was sort of negative dialogue on the on the um, the application, right? Yeah. So the the local authority, when they receive your application, um, they have to go through a statutory process. <clears throat> that statutory process will be over will be over eight weeks or thirteen weeks, depending on the the type and size of your application. What normally happens with the majority of planning applications is that the the decision will be taken by the planning officer that's 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 um, dealing with your application. So that planning officer will assess your application, will look through all of the the, the information that you submit, will read all of the comments that have been submitted um, as part of the consultation on the application, and then that planning officer will sit down and undertake an assessment and decide whether to grant recommend granting planning permission or recommend refusing planning permission and when it's dealt with just by the planning officer that's called a delegated decision the other the other way that the local authority will deal with your application is it might have to be reported to planning committee and local authorities have a whole series of committees that make decisions on different aspects of their role as a local authority and they have what's called a planning committee, and that planning committee will um, will will make a decision on your application. The planning committee will be made up of elected um, councillors um, that form part of the council, um, and that that can be anywhere from sort of seven councillors to eleven to fifteen, depending on the size of the local authority and the planning committee. And what will happen is your application will be reported to the planning committee. So the officer will write a report that goes to the planning committee. You will have an opportunity to go along and speak to the planning committee and put forward your um, your arguments as to why you think that the application should be approved. Um, and then the members will discuss that application and then make a decision. And they will, they will literally vote. So you will have... Um, You'll, you'll be sat there waiting nervously for the vote at the end of the committee and there'll be a show of hands in terms of in terms of the members that 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 want to want to approve it or refuse it going along and speaking at planning committee again can be quite daunting and nerve-wracking um, it's something that we that we will do for our clients um, if they don't feel comfortable doing it 
but sometimes it's really good that that you as the applicant go along and speak passionately and speak you know from the heart in terms of why you want to see your application approved um and you know we can we can assist with that and we can try to work positively to get the planning committee to approve your application um but it's a you know it's a democratic process and ultimately it's it's the members that will make that decision this has been the first part of two on episode 20 all about planning I hope you've enjoyed the episode. Please like, subscribe and follow the channel and check out all our other social media platforms. If there's anything else that you want to talk about or see, leave a comment or send us a message. 